Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, one day, Leroy, who was eight years old, approached his mom and demanded that she buy him a new bicycle. He didn't ask that she would buy him a new bicycle. He demanded that she would buy him a new bicycle. Leroy's mom didn't want to spoil her son, and so she said, well, Leroy, it's not Christmas, and it's not your birthday, and your father and I won't just buy you whatever you want, but tell you what, why don't you write a letter to Jesus, and in that sense, you can pray for a bicycle instead. Leroy didn't like that idea very much. He threw a big temper tantrum. But then when he realized that his mom was not going to budge or change her mind, he decided to take her up on that suggestion of writing a letter to Jesus. So he went to his room. He sat down at his desk. He pulled out a pen and a piece of paper, and he wrote the following letter. Dear Jesus, I've been a good boy this year, and I would appreciate a new bicycle. The problem was Leroy listened when he was in church. He knew that Jesus knew everything, which meant that Jesus was well aware of the kind of boy that he had actually been that year. So he tore up the letter, threw it away, and he tried again. Dear Jesus, I've been an okay boy this year, and I want a new bicycle. It still wasn't right, and so he tore up the letter, threw it away, tried again. Dear Jesus, I've thought about being a good boy this year, so can I please have a new bicycle? Still wasn't right, and at this point, he was getting agitated, frustrated, didn't know what to say, didn't know what to write, so he decided that he would go for a walk outside to clear his mind. All of us have done this from time to time. Go for a walk to clear your mind. So he was walking around the neighborhood. Suddenly, he found himself in a garden on a church campus, and in that garden was a statue like this one, a statue of Mary. And then he had an idea. He looked behind him, looked to his left, looked to his right, made sure that nobody was watching, and then he leaped forward. He grabbed that statue. He ran back home as fast as he could. He went upstairs, went to his room, put the statue under his bed, and then he sat at his desk and he wrote this letter. Dear Jesus, I've got your mother. If you ever want to see her again, you will get me a new bike. Signed, you know who. Well, Leroy was manipulative, wasn't he? Or at least he tried to be manipulative. But laying aside those manipulative tactics, Leroy did get one thing right. Mary was the mother of Jesus, wasn't she? And we're going to be talking about Mary in the sermon today. So we're in a series right now for Advent. Uh, Advent is the season that brings us into Christmas. And we're in a season for Advent that we're calling the characters of Christmas. And in these sermons, we are looking at some of the various characters of the Christmas story, hoping that by exploring these characters, we will come to see the Christmas story in Scripture in fresh and new ways and discover the truths about God and ourselves that we glean from this sacred story. And so as we began this new series last week, we talked about our first two characters, our first two figures. Do you remember who they were? Elizabeth and Zechariah. 
Elizabeth and Zechariah. And Elizabeth and Zechariah became the parents of who? John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He got everybody ready for the coming of God's Messiah. In fact, what all the Gospels share in common, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels begin with the story of John the Baptist. So we talked about Elizabeth and Zechariah, the parents of John the Baptist. Now we come to our next character, and that would be Mary. Mary. And with the exception of Jesus, Mary is arguably the most well-known character of the Christmas story, isn't she? With the exception of Jesus, she is probably the most well-known character of the Christmas story. Yet even though Mary is well-known and familiar to a lot of us, my hope and my prayer this morning is that through this sermon, we will learn some things about Mary that we didn't necessarily know, and we'll see how Mary's story gives us a window into the God who has come for all human beings, each and every one of us, in Jesus Christ. Now, to set the context, Mary's story begins six months. How many months? Six months, half a year, following the angel Gabriel's visit to Zechariah. And so at this point, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, she is pregnant with John the Baptist. She has just entered her last trimester. And that's when Gabriel, the same angel who came to Zechariah in the temple while he was writing, lighting incense at the altar area, Zechariah comes to Mary, a relative of Elizabeth. Zechariah's wife is Elizabeth, and Mary's a relative of, of Elizabeth. He comes to Elizabeth, or Mary and tells Mary that she's also going to be with child, an unusual pregnancy. Elizabeth's pregnancy was unusual because she was an older person. Mary's pregnancy is unusual. Why? Because she's never been with a man. And so listen with me to this passage of Scripture. It has often been called the Annunciation, Gabriel's visit to Mary, this is from Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth, again, Elizabeth was related to Mary, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail, or as some translations say, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God to which we say, thanks be to God. Out of all the surprising parts of this story, and we don't have time this morning to get into all the surprising parts, but out of all the surprising parts, one thing that should definitely surprise and shock all of us is the village to which Almighty God sends Gabriel to find the earthly mother of God's son. 
What's the name of the village that Gabriel goes to? Nazareth. Now, of course, we know about Nazareth today, don't we? As 21st century people, we know about Nazareth because of its association with Jesus. But the reality is, back then, 2,000 years ago, hardly anybody knew about Nazareth. At the time of this encounter with Gabriel, Nazareth had a population of 100 to 400 people. That's it. And scholars estimate that it was probably on the smaller side of that, 100 to 400 people. Nazareth was tiny, insignificant. In our words today, we might call it podunk. You ever used that word before to refer to a town? Podunk. It wasn't even listed in most first century maps. And so if you were living back then, you had a map of Galilee, that map probably did not include Nazareth. And even the people who knew about Nazareth, they weren't proud of it. They were embarrassed by it. In fact, remember in the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, when Philip sees Jesus coming, he runs to his friend Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, hey, we have found the Messiah. We have found the promised one of God, the one who Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about, Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, because Jesus also came to grow up in Nazareth. Do you remember how Nathaniel responds? This is from John chapter 1, verse 46. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Even the people who knew of Nazareth were ashamed of it. This was a nothing village. And not only does Almighty God send the angel Gabriel to a nothing village, but the specific person to whom Gabriel goes, she's not a member of elite Jewish society, is she? She's not one of King Herod's daughters. Rather, she's a Jewish peasant girl, maybe 14 or 15 years old, which seems incredibly young to us today, but back then that was the average age in which women got married, 14, 15 years old. As we examine the characters of Christmas, there is none so unlikely to be at the center of this sacred story than Mary. And to be clear, Mary was not looking for prominence. She wasn't looking for recognition. She wasn't looking for fame. She was like every other Jewish girl of Nazareth, just living out an ordinary life in an ordinary town with unassuming dreams. Check out how Pastor Ken Hughes describes the future that Mary probably would have had before Gabriel's encounter. It's up here on the monitor. From all indicators, the pastor says, uh, again, this is Ken Hughes, from all indicators, her life, that is Mary's life, would not be extraordinary. Again, this is what would have happened before Gabriel's encounter. It would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die, like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing village, or a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And yet Mary becomes the chosen vessel whom God uses to bring his son into the world? This tells, this tells us something about Mary, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, but most importantly, it tells us something about the God who Mary worships that God loves to take the nobodies of this world and turn them into somebodies. God is committed to using the most unlikely of people to carry out his plans. Remember, folks, this is the same God who chose the Israelites, a slave people, to be his own possession in the world. 
This is the same God who took Moses, somebody with a stuttering problem, who had no skills in public speaking, and had him go to the most powerful man in the world, to Pharaoh, the king, and demand that Pharaoh let God's people go. This is the same God who, in 1 Samuel 16, I believe, sent the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse and chose the youngest son, whom pretty much everybody had forgotten about, whom Jesse, the father, didn't even think to include among his sons and made him King David. This is the same God who, in 1 Samuel 17, used David when David was just a shepherd boy to take down the Philistine warrior, Goliath. This same God chose Mary of Nazareth. Earlier this week, as I was working on the sermon, I tried to think of a modern-day example of Mary. Who's a modern-day example of Mary? Somebody who was considered a nobody, but then rose to fame. And one person who came to mind for me was Susan Boyle. Anybody remember Susan Boyle? A lot of you do. A lot of people in the last service remembered her too. Susan Boyle rose to fame back in 2009 when she appeared as a contestant on what TV show? Do you remember? It wasn't America has talent, right, or got talent. America's got talent. It was Britain's got talent on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And she came from an incredibly humble background. She was unemployed. She lived alone with her cat in Glasgow, Scotland. And when Susan Boyle came on that stage of Britain's Got Talent, nobody expected great things from her, especially one of the judges. He's up here in the monitor. What's this guy's name? Simon Cal. You all know Simon Cal, don't you? Is Simon Cal known for his kindness? And his encouragement, the uplifting words that he gives to these musical contestants? No. And so when Susan Boyle came on that stage, he was rolling his eyes. He, along with everybody else, assumed that she was going to be a royal waste of time. But then she began to sing. And I wish we had time to play the video this morning. I would encourage you, watch it today. Watch it at some point this week. You can find it on YouTube. But as she began to sing, the most life-giving music came out of her mouth Everybody, even cranky old Simon Cowell, was moved to tears, moved with emotion. Susan Boyle was a nobody by the world standards who quickly became a somebody just like Mary did. And not just any somebody, by the way, but the early Christians, especially those in the East, came to refer to Mary as Theotokos. If you want to impress your friends today, you could drop that term in a conversation with them. Theotokos. Theotokos comes from two Greek words. Theos is the Greek word for God. Remember, theology is the study of God. So theos, but then also tokos, which means bearer or carrier. To put it simply, Mary carried God. She bore God within her own body. She nursed God. She was as close to God as a mother is to her child. That's pretty cool, isn't it? As the United Methodists, we don't believe that Mary was sinless like Catholics do. That's an area in which we disagree with Catholics. Uh, we don't believe that she was sinless. We believe that she was a sinner like everybody else. Uh, the only person who never sinned was Jesus. We also don't believe that she was taken up in bodily form to heaven. But we do believe that she was unique. She was chosen by God for a great purpose. And so the question becomes, why? Out of all the people in the world that God could have chosen, why did God choose Mary? 
Gabriel doesn't tell us the exact reason. He does indicate that Mary is favored. He doesn't specify why she's favored. However, Mary hints at the possible reason that God chose her in a song that she comes to sing later in the Gospel of Luke as she's meeting with Elizabeth, a song that's called the Magnificat. So check out with me what Mary says here, or rather really what Mary sings here in Luke chapter 1. It says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, or some translations say how my soul magnifies the Lord. That's why we call this the Magnificat, magnify. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted who? The humble. So folks, perhaps that's the reason that God chose Mary. God loves to exalt the humble. God loves to exalt the Marys of this world. God loves to exalt the Susan Boyles of this world and raise them up to a level of importance. As we've already noted, we see this theme in Scripture time and again, and that should encourage all of us. That should encourage you. It should encourage me to humble ourselves before God, to not think of ourselves more highly than we should, and instead recognize that you and I, we are nothing more than servants of God, to be used by God in whatever way that God deems appropriate. There's a folktale that actually talks about this very point. Uh, it's called The Tale of the Three Trees. And if you have children in your life, I would encourage you to share this tale with them. It really is a great folktale. The way the folktale goes is there are these three trees in the forest, and they're talking to each other. So just imagine these trees talking to each other. And the one tree says, I want to be cut down and made into a treasure chest and hold great treasure. And the second tree says, well, I want to be cut down and made into a large boat and sail the open seas. And the third tree says, I don't want to be cut down. I want to stay right here in the ground forever and grow so tall that I point human beings to God in heaven. Well, what happens next is the woodcutters come and they chop down the trees. The first tree is not made into a treasure chest. Instead, it's made into a manger, a feeding trough for animals. But it does hold great treasure. Because on the night of Jesus' birth, it comes to hold the baby Jesus inside. The second tree is not made into a large boat. Instead, it's made into a very small boat. It's sold to a poor fisherman. But then one day, Jesus stands in that boat, and he teaches the crowds from there. The third tree doesn't stay in the ground forever like it wanted. Instead, it's cut down, and then it's shaped into a horrible instrument, a Roman cross but it becomes the very cross on which the Lord Jesus is crucified. So in that sense, the tree does point human beings to God in heaven. Humility is not about thinking less of ourselves. Humility is not about thinking less of ourselves. Humility is about placing ourselves, positioning ourselves before God and allowing God to use us in whatever way that God desires, great or seemingly small just like Mary did. Mary, this ordinary, everyday person, she played a role, a critical role in the story of God's salvation, the greatest story ever told. There's a modern-day icon of Mary. Uh, Maybe you've seen it floating around the Internet. We have it up here in the monitors. It's called Mary and Eve. Mary and Eve. And so here in this icon, we see Mary, and she's consoling Eve, Adam's wife. Eve has the serpent wrapped around her. 
But what's Mary doing to the serpent? She's stomping on its head. What do we say in the hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing, Bruise on Us, the Serpent's Head? She's stomping on the serpent's head. Remember, the serpent was the most crafty of the animals that the Lord God had made. What's the source of his power? His mind? His brain? She's stomping on that. In Eve's one hand is the forbidden fruit. But where is her other hand placed? On the fruit of Mary's womb, who would come to defeat sin. Don't you love that? Uh, There's a poem that goes along with this icon. Let me share it with you. It's up here. It says, my mother, my daughter, this is Mary speaking to Eve, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. O Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. Folks, it's remarkable when we think, all that was accomplished through Mary, this simple girl. But let's remember something. God accomplished all this. Not Mary, nobody else did. God accomplished all this. As Mary is speaking to the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel tells, about, tells her about how she's going to give birth to the Son of God, well, understandably, Mary has some questions about this. She says, well, how can this be? Mary's not so much asking this question from a place of skepticism or cynicism. Rather, she's asking this question from a place of curiosity wonder. How can this happen? How is this possible? I've never been with a man. And then Gabriel patiently clues her in. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Mary, trust that God is going to make this happen. Do we have that same trust that God can make the impossible happen? Do we have that same trust in the face of circumstances that, quite frankly, appear insurmountable? One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Will Willimon. Will Condust is also one of my favorite preachers, but Will Willimon is up there as well. Uh, He was a professor at Duke. He was also a bishop in the United Methodist Church. But before he was all that, he was a pastor of a local church. And at one point, he was serving this church, and there was this woman who was a part of it, and she had led a very difficult life. To begin with, she grew up during a time of racial segregation. She was black. She had experienced horrific forms of oppression and hate and discrimination. And then on top of all that, a year before Willemon got to the church, her husband died, a very painful death. Her only son had been incarcerated because of a sleazy bank deal gone bad, leaving her to raise his children, her two grandchildren, all by herself, even though her health wasn't very good and she had limited financial resources. And so she was talking with Willimon about all these troubles, and and Willimon felt this overwhelming sense of futility. He wondered to himself, what's going to become of this woman? How is she going to overcome all these challenges that are before her? But this woman managed to express incredible faith in God, and it wasn't phony, it wasn't fake, it was genuine faith in God. She said, Pastor, I believe that God's going to see me through all this. And then Willimon just blurted out, how can this be? You've got, your health is is not good, and you've got these kids and limited finances. Willimon realized as he said that, how can this be? He was asking the same question that Mary asked. But he wasn't asking this question from curiosity or wonder. He was asking it from a lack of faith. Do we lack faith? 
in what God can do and God can accomplish? Have we allowed our circumstances to define God instead of allowing God to define our circumstances? Christmas is about a miraculous birth, but it's also about the one who made that birth possible. The very same God who is at work in the world today, making the impossible possible, who invites us to believe and trust in him even without having all the answers. Which brings us to the very last point of Mary's story that I want us to highlight. Mary trusted God, even without having all the answers. Listen with me to what Mary said once more in verse 38 as she's speaking to Gabriel. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Do you think Mary knew what she was getting herself into when she said yes to God here? A number of years ago, there was a pastor who wrote a blog in the Christian Century, which is a Christian magazine. And in the blog, the pastor talked about how when he was serving a church, every year the church had a children's Christmas pageant. And so one year, uh, the director was putting on this pageant, and she asked the boys who wanted to play Joseph. None of the boys wanted to play Joseph because Joseph doesn't have any lines. Pastor Will will talk more about that next week. Uh, There are no words from Joseph in the Christmas story. But then the director asked the girls, who wants to be Mary? And immediately, every hand shot up, and all the girls started screaming, I want to be Mary. I want to be Mary. I want to be Mary. The pastor who wrote that article, that blog, then asked this question. You think Mary wanted to be Mary? What do you think? Did Mary want to be Mary? Did Mary want to be Mary knowing the challenges, the scandal that would involve a conception out of wedlock? Do you think Mary wanted to be Mary knowing that her hopes and dreams for a traditional Jewish wedding would be dashed? We can't know for certain. But what we do know is that even while knowing the risk involved, Mary still said yes to God. She was still obedient to God's plan. That plan wasn't easy. The prophet Simeon, later in the Gospel of Luke, would tell Mary that one day a sword's going to pierce your soul. And then what would happen 33 years later is Mary would stand beneath a Roman cross and watch as the very son that she brought into the world was executed. Nowadays, we tend to romanticize Mary, don't we? Mary's life was not romantic. It was hard and it was painful. But even so, she was open to being used by God. So may all of us, by God's good grace, follow in her example and in her footsteps. Open ourselves to God. Allow God to use us in whatever way that he desires. May we join with Mary in saying those words from Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.